So John White here uh, with my new friend, Andre, who is in South Africa, and we're going to do a little interview here. Just delighted with getting to know Andre. And so, Andre, why don't you share a little bit about yourself? Um, where are you? A um, bit about your family, your work. Um, we'll start with that. Right. Yeah, well, yeah, just thanks, uh, John. It's always a privilege uh, being able to share with, um, you know, different audiences, um, the work that God's brought in my life. And um, yeah, so briefly, I just turned 50, um, turned, turned a half a century. Um, and so I'm at that stage. My I have four children, adult children, um, which three are at university and I have one uh, still just finishing high school almost adult children. I'm very blessed, two girls, two boys, um, married to the wife of my youth. Uh, so we have 33 years, I think it is, of, of marriage. And so, yeah, blessed to have a, a robust family um, that serve the Lord and, uh, yeah, are at various stages of their own journey. Um, yeah, so in terms of my, uh, you know, spiritual journey, it was 19 came to the Lord. I was radically born again. I met Christ back in 92. And yeah, i am pretty much been a Jesus freak ever since and growing in my uh, crazy love for him. And so he manages to really woo you and grip you and yeah, take over your life. So yeah, I'm serving the Lord uh, basically in planting churches and in starting businesses. Um, from early on, um, we were elders in a more congregational model up until 2001, my wife and I. Um, and so from 2001, we, we endeavored a more simple, experimental journey of church. Uh, so, yeah, so that's that's been our last two, two decades or so. Um, and in, in between uh, planting a number of house churches, we've, or simple churches, um, or primitive churches, very relationally based churches, if you like, um, I've started a, f a number of businesses, one fairly significant oil trading company, mm. which we got traded oil worldwide. Um, and so yeah, I've tended to always do both. Um, but now finding 80% of my energies on church planning and you know, writing, I have a blog and uh, mentoring people, you know, believers in business and yeah, just other church planters and yeah, serving the Lord also in the prophetic uh, capacity, being graced with some prophetic utterance and insights. And so I, I lead a group, um, uh, interdenominational group in Cape Town. Um, so yeah, just in a nutshell, that's, that's more or less it sounds, me. Sounds very much like an apostle. Uh, always yeah. starting things, entrepreneurial in both business and in church planting. So beautiful. Yeah. And you have a blog. Why don't you say the uh, the address if somebody wanted to check that out? Where would they go? Yeah, it's very simply. It's my name. So it's uh, andrebard.com. Okay. And Bard is B-A-A-R-D? Correct. Andre Bard. Okay. Maybe I'll try to post that in the, in the notes here. Uh, so you've been basically doing some form of house church for more than 20 years. Correct. Um, we found there were some very early pioneers in the late 99, 98. Um, but the, the first wave, I'd say, of in South Africa, in terms of the house church movement in South Africa was around 2000, 2001. And so 
we we joined with a number of um you know leaders um non-leaders attempting experimenting with a more relational wineskin if you like and so you know uh, wolfgang simpson's book did the rounds how's it changed the world you know Frank started writing um kind of before then but yeah i think i think worldwide it's sort of people were starting to ask questions you know how how to do church differently yes yeah and our, our journey was very much in that same time frame sort of 1999 2000 you know something was going on there so i totally agree with that um what can you say a word about sort of your assessment of so the house church world in south africa what do you what do you see happening there positive and negative yeah well i think um we're i think we're in a, a sort of a, a a strategic pause where the the first wave and second i'd say the first wave wave i'd consider 2001 then a sort of second wave left more congregational sort of denominational setups around 2010 um, so I, I kind of see in South Africa, the movement had two waves. Um, both the first and second wave are, are at a creative pause, I would say, a bit of a half time, mm. you know, just, yeah, and reflecting on the first 10 or 20 years of their journey. And I think it's a very healthy place. I think there's um, a number of leaders that are realizing uh, you don't grow um, by damaging what is um you grow by finding what god's really birthing anew and so i think a lot of the initial criticalness has sort of evaporated um and so which i think is a healthy thing yes uh, there's a place for old wine um and there's a place for new wine and jesus said don't destroy the old and just keep the new and so I think an old new wine skin understanding r rather than just the new wine is the only wine. Yep. Um, and so there's been a maturing in the movement. Um, and also a bit like the homeschooling movement in South Africa, it's, 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 it's obtained a bit of legitimacy, uh, increasing legitimacy. Mm -hmm. um, beginning, I don't know about you in the States, but you know, very much looked on with um, suspicion uh, you know, we had families saying, you know, not allowed to play with our kids because they're in a cult because they meet in our home. <laughs> yeah. So pretty, yeah, I, I think similar to the homeschoolers, those early pioneers, you know, what, mm. what are you doing? Now, uh, I mean, the homeschooling movement in Africa is very matured. And in fact, I think it's got one of the highest acceptance rates to university. Oh. And uh, I dare say, you know, in a bit of a parallel story, um, there's some great fruit maturing fruit coming out of what God began, you know, two decades ago in this country, yep. um, not without much heartache and heartburn and agony and ecstasy, might I say. Yes, yes. Well, and again, very similar to what I've experienced. Two things that I would note is, one, I think when we first started doing house church, my own spirit, I'd kind of swung to the opposite direction. You know, it's only house church and the traditional church is just bad and evil and stay away from that. And I think God's given us more of a balance like what you're talking about. And uh, also the similar reception back in those days, exactly the same thing is you talk about house church and people associated it with some cult. One of our guys sort of humorously would say, 
Oh yeah, those are people that make their own yogurt and store weapons in their basement. You know, that's what house church is about, right? Yeah. And, and I think it has become much more accepted as a, a valid expression of church. So very similar journeys. Yeah. So, um, and I want to also point out to people and mention to people, as Andre mentioned his blog, Andre is an excellent writer. I've read some of the things that he has written and uh, very articulate, very insightful. And so I would certainly recommend you guys check out um, some of what he has he has written. Um, in fact, would you, before I ask you another question, uh, you were talking about sort of you're thinking about church these days and you talked about being slow and how did you say that? What What were the 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 adjective yeah. you used yeah well just firstly thank you i you know i appreciate the, the encouragement one needs it when one is pioneering uh things that you know you don't have a precedent for so uh, heartfelt thanks for that yeah, um yes uh recently um quite coincidentally outside our front gate of our we live on a small holding there's a uh, we're on a corner of a on a bend on our road and there's a sign that says slow, you know watch out go slow around the corner, and one day it's just sort of you know when when you see something every day but then one day it catches your eye and you just pause for a moment, and I was just wondering that that looks like an acronym for something cool, and um, you know it's literally planted at our front gate by the municipality, and uh, I was just. Uh, just dreaming up some acronyms. I love a good acronym um, because it's easy to remember. And um, yeah, simple things travel well, similar to sachet. I love acronyms. So, um, so I, I kind of experimented with some and never felt it fitting. Um, and then I Googled some and came across a very good acronym for slow uh, in terms of a church context. And so slow, sustainable, S, local, L, organic O, and whole W. Hmm. And those are kind of values that made a lot of sense to us um, at, uh, at this point, um, sort of in this prophetic season, journey, timeline. And in a way, I think, um, speaks to going low, going slow, and going simpler, which is a bit of a tagline the Lord's working with us on, us on because... We know that the hare loses and the tortoise wins, you know, and yeah, yeah and, and fast church and high church and fast food. It's a whole culture of um, busyness that, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's counterproductive. And the, the way of the spirit, the speed of the spirit feels sl more slow than fast. And yes. so we found helpful sort of acronym and i wrote a, a blog post about it just kind of um expanding some of uh the the truths around those those four words yes i love it a, a similar concept we've been sort of speaking to each other these days is that we want to grow at the speed of attachment yeah and right. and uh and, and attachment takes time building heart-to-heart -heart relationships um yeah. so that that helps us so at some point, how did you find Luke 10? How did that happen? Yeah. Also, another cool little story, um, yep. you know, a divine connection, I think. Um, I've been uh, in contact with um, an old missionary friend who's currently based in Malaysia. 
and we we've been kind of having check-ins every sort of six seven weeks um yeah just uh sharing our own journeys he's also just turned the 50 mark and reflecting on his uh, 20 20 30 years as a missionary all over the world and also he mentioned that he's really enjoying a book called joy field hmm. so um i really respect this brother he's, he's very wise and uh, beautiful testimony and so i thought let me just google um check, buy the book on kindle which i did hmm. and just yeah read a bit about it and we had a dialogue you know uh, about some of the the truths that you're or the treasures, as I like to uh, use in terms of Ephesian terminology, book of Ephesians, um, the treasures we find in him. And so, yeah, I found a, a huge resonance. Um, and I think a similar point in time in terms of, yeah, not just ecclesiology, but but um, just values and that uh, God seems to um, really dwell on you know the inner life and the outer life and this formational aspects the disciplines and the the flow practices of of a of prayer life but then also not forgetting the loss but you know being missional if you like um and it's very difficult to get those two um almost competing sometimes uh is intention you know and so Truth is, we feel is always intention, like the hemispheres of our, our brains. They're always intention. And we need the logical, but we also need the intuitive and sort of we need the word, we need the spirit, we need to be a gathered people that are happy to enjoy a domestic church life, but are equally dissatisfied that the world doesn't know what we have found in him. And so to express those glorious truths uh, is not easy. And so I think um, I felt, well, let me see, is there some kind of movement or organization or, you know, or who are the people behind this and just reach out a bit. And so th that's when, you know, we, we made contact. So one of the phrases I've learned from Andre, which is bears on what he just was saying, is that paradox is the new orthodoxy which sums up so much. So there's the, there's the paradox of, of, of going in and going out of uh, the community, but also outreach. And how does, how do we work that out and, and to be able to live in that paradox. So I love the way that you say that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so basically it was that book and I know your friend is Petrus. I've had a zoom call with him and I believe Petrus is in church one-on-one as well. So I'm looking forward yeah. to hearing his, his thoughts about, what that's like, but you you decided to go ahead and sign up for Church One Hundred One, and yeah. talk a little bit about where are you in the course and what have been some of the benefits or things that you've learned so far. Right, yeah. So, um, firstly, uh, just a commendation for for you know a movement that's working in relational house church, simple church communities you have a great sense of administration and order because that is something sorely lacking. And so um, the fact that, you know, you can, someone phones you on a meetup call and someone actually, you actually have a, you know, strong process for Church 101, I actually found not a little encouraging, but hugely encouraging mm -hmm. because I, you know, 
what God's doing with this part of his vineyard is, is really, I think, um, yeah, some of those values that have been learned is actually now really bearing fruit. So, yeah, I think that that was just awesome to actually have a six-week regular course where there's a facilitator and, and so on. So we're on week uh, – we've just finished week four, two, two sessions left. And I think the overall um, picture is – um, once the simplicity of the, the teaching, um, but it takes genius to do something simple. Um, and that's also um, effective and transferable and viral and organic without it being institutional. And so I think a lot that goes behind the tip of the iceberg that you actually get, you know, you've reduced a lot of, I think, distilled wisdom into the arrowhead, the point of the arrow. And I think uh, we enjoy the hour and a half sessions. Um, I think the material does bond a group particularly quickly, which is, I think, quite surprising how, you know, using sachet and the check-in principle, a group bonds, I think, faster than I've maybe ever seen it. Um, so it's a great tool to get you know, uh, new people bonded. And I think once you there's a sense of bonding, the walls come down and you can start carrying more truth over the bridge, the relational bridge, if you like. Yes. And so, yeah, I, I think overall, um, love the orderliness. I love the simplicity and, and the density of, you know, listening to one another and listening to the Lord and just applying those things, you know. So, yeah, overall, very blessed and enjoying it thank you and it is remarkable i mean i never cease to be amazed that you can get a group of people together who've never met each other before total strangers on a zoom call of all things you know and <laughs> and in that context which you wouldn't think that relationship would be built very much there but over and over again we hear that same thing on every almost every church one-on-one -on -one call people will say things like you know, I've been in my church for 10 years, but I already feel closer to you guys on this call who I've never met before after just three yeah. or four weeks. It's just, that's just astonishing, I think. So yeah. you're experiencing that. Very cool. Um, so, oh, who, who's your, who's facilitating your call? Uh, he, his surname, uh, is it uh, Greg? No, uh, you got me there. I was thinking it was David Knapp, but I'm not sure. Yes, sorry. It's interesting. So Knapp, David Knapp, that's right. Sorry. So yeah. just an observation there, because it's one of the ways that we do Second um, Timothy 2.2, 2, you know, sort of the generational part of things. So David is in training as a Church 101 facilitator. And so there's David, and he's uh, facilitating the group. And again, he's not exactly leading the group. He's not. He's he's facilitating conversation and community, but then he's being trained by my friend uh, Ben Hamilton, who's in Australia. And so there's this generational thing that is happening all throughout Luke ten, which I I just think is really wonderful. Yeah, and I, the the process. I mean, Petrus, uh, we decided to do the church one on one together just to be a sounding board and. Yes. He sits in Malaysia. I'm in South Africa, and you know, uh, David is somewhere in Boston or somewhere. So right. you, you literally 
trading planet Earth. And so, yeah, it's it's a great tool to to you know transfer spiritual DNA. Yeah, <laughs> one of my friends, one of my Luke Ten friends, is Tony Carey. Tony Carey is in Ireland, and Tony found us about six years ago. Uh, went through Church One Hundred One, loved it, and has begun. Went through all of our training, and so he's now leading Church One Hundred One groups. Uh, he's just retired about a year ago, and he was. He was sharing that he was asking himself, what is it that I want? I have time now. What do I want to do? What gives me the greatest joy? And he says, um, I, I just have the greatest joy in leading church one-on-one -on -one groups. And so yeah. here's this guy in Ireland. He's, I think he's led 15 or 16 groups through church one-on-one. He yeah. literally has a worldwide ministry now, which he never thought he would have. He just thought it's, it's me in Ireland and a few friends here, but he's literally making disciples uh, with people all over the world. And maybe for the first time in history, that kind of thing becomes accessible for just yeah. you know, the, your average believer. Yeah. So you, you wrote me, um, and you're always reflecting on things, which I love. You think deeply about stuff. You wrote me a, um, uh, it must have been a text, talking about the idea of checking in. And you ask if I had ever thought about a nonverbal check-in, and do we have anything in writing about that? And my response is, we have thought a little bit about it. In fact, at our conference last year, our, our leader team conference, we practiced some nonverbal checking in with each other. But you had obviously really thought about it. And I'd love for you to talk about nonverbal check-ins and why is that a valuable thing? And why is it biblical? Right. Well, I, I think um, perhaps it's just putting it in context. Um, if you've been married for any length of time, you will realize how much of your communication is nonverbal. Mm -hmm. In fact, I think some of the most profoundly beautiful engagements in marriage are nonverbal. Yes. They a look in the eye. It's a, it's a knowing. It's an understanding. It's a touch on the shoulder. Or it's um, an intimate you know, uh, glance of the eyes at the right appropriate time. And so... You know, I think God invented body language. Um, if you read <laughs> scriptures, there's a huge amount of, you know, I'm looking, I'm seeking your face. I'm not seeking to hear your voice only, but I'm just seeking your face for what? Micro emotions, micro gestures. The psalmists particularly studied the face of God and whatever that may mean, it's, it's, you know, facial expressions is a body language sort of fits in the same category. And so, um, you know, it just made me think how much of our checkings in we do um, non-verbally and how important it is. Part of our emotional intelligence is actually understanding body language. Yes. And some of that had emotionally intelligent parents did a better job of actually teaching us picking up nonverbal cues. Other, others that um, had a bit more of a sterile or harsh sort of regime in their parenthood struggle with that. And so I think, I think there's a place to actually teach on it, a place to make it important. You know? And even in a church context, um, how you relate to people. You know, um, I, I love a lot of Watchmanese writings, and he, he's got a, a book called uh, God's Workman if I recall, and 
opens a chapter of that famous book and you've got to be able to listen to whoever you are speaking with. Yes. Be it gospel, counseling, ministering, life, whatever, you've got to deeply be able to listen and, and, and become in an objective way. Remove yourself and really listen. And I think part of that is, uh, you know, understanding nonverbal communication. You, you can't just discern by what they're saying. You've got to discern what their body is saying. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah. And so I think, and you know, there's that verse in Proverbs that says, God hates a haughty look. Hmm. He ha I've often wondered, I mean, he didn't do anything. He didn't say anything, but mm -hmm. he sinned. Just a look. Just, just in a look. And so, yeah. so bring it back to scripture. You can sin without making a erring <laughs> Erring indeed, simply yeah. by in your face, God. <laughs> and so we don't generally think like that, but what it really is, our it's our heart expressing itself yes. through our soul and through our body. So our body doesn't lie. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think um, it's a bit like dream interpretation. It's uh, it's it's there's not enough people teaching on the value of dreams. I believe in the body of Christ. Similarly body language and using the sachet principle of check-in i think you augment it well to teach people when you come into a room listen and almost with your eyes if that is a thing to to see you know to see where people are at you know um yeah that is such a great insight and, and i'm so glad you brought that up um prompts a couple of thoughts one is i love uh, dr wilder jim wilder and his comment about joy, you know, it's, it's the best definition of joy I've ever heard. That joy is what my brain experiences when I am with someone who is glad to be with me no matter what. And then he goes on to say the way that they communicate that they're glad to be with you, it's mostly through the face, especially the eyes, and the tone of voice. It's not even the words that we say, although that's important, but it's the, it's the face and the tone that communicates, I am really glad to be with you. That is, that is so profound. And he quotes, um, you know, the, the prayer in the Old Testament, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you. It's like being able to perceive God's face, that he is delighted to be with okay. us is, is so important. And and I, I think I'm very much on the journey. I, I don't think I ever, I don't learn those things. And so I'm, I'm learning it now. Um, yeah. and then a, last comment, I have a, I have a leader team here in Southwest Florida, myself and four other guys. Leader team, sort of the next thing after Church 101 for those who feel led to do it. And, and we teach relational brain skills there. Mm -hmm. And at the very beginning, we, we, the two of the brain skills that we're working on, one is how to be gently curious, and the other is how to attune to other people. So it's exactly what you're talking about, Andre. Attunement is listening to your words, absolutely, but it's also paying attention to a person's body. What are they communicating? And there are really two parts to that. One is I have to observe. I have to pay attention to what's going on. That's that's a whole skill in itself. And then when it's appropriate, to reflect that back to them. So to say, you know, it, it, it seems like you're really feeling afraid about the situation just from your face, or it looks like you're really joyful. Is that right? 
And so there's a communication loop that gets set up there, which is really deepens the relationship. So totally agree with you. Yeah, I, I particularly like um, what I can, I don't know if you'd call it um, sort of emotional intelligence toolbox that this tool is, but it feels like emotional gym for those that are a little bit un unpracticed. Um, right. Yeah, it, uh, the, the question, when someone shares a heavy emotion, yes. uh, 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 I like, you know, what can we, you know, what what do you most want from us? Yes. Which, <clears throat> you know, it, it's, it's helpful to approach Especially as Christians that love giving unsolicited advice. So true. So, you know, unsolicited advice. We just can't help but quote a chapter and a verse somewhere. And that's maybe well-meaning. But to deeply listen, you actually have to close your mouth, do a lot of listening, and, you know, um, and then ask the question, you know, what do you really want? You know, Jesus said to the blind man, what can I do for you? Yes. So, so I think we can't just presume and assume uh, how we can actually guide people. And I think a, a Christian worker needs, you know, if we're to be a fisher of men, we need to learn how to bait the hook and not to yank the <laughs> the rod so quickly. You know, just there, there, there's some there's some context required, and I think I think uh, a lot of those um, clearly well-learned lessons you're imparting you know um i think would do well for you know for a lot of us that you know you just want to dispense with the problem by giving advice and perhaps we maybe it's a love issue more than just giving answers that sometimes it, it takes time it's slow to really listen to someone but i think that comes back to love and i think church needs that fruit more than any other fruit amen it really, it really means trusting that God is at work in this person's life. And my main job is to pay attention to what God is doing and then giving agency to the person, letting them decide what is it that you need at this point, rather than giving, uh, somebody said, unsolicited advice is yes. always, always perceived as abuse. Yeah. It, I, that's a really powerful way of saying that. So that's yeah. one of the things in Luke 10, we are really working on training in and learning how to, how to do that well. Yeah. Oh, great, great just practicing it in our the sachet tool in our yeah. family or practice i think is better than a tool because it's a rhythm it's something you repeat regularly which i like it creates a, a kind of stability uh when you do that but what we found it, it generated was a higher degree of honor yes and especially in a, a family environment where you can have the problem of familiarity breeding contempt when you do a sachet around the dinner table uh okay wow uh, you you invited to reveal your emotional state more than previously and because you being vulnerable i'm going to reciprocate that vulnerability with my own vulnerability and 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 so the whole the, the the sort of the sense of sacredness just elevates and, yes. and of depth and and also I think that's where the bonding improves because when you're vulnerable you allow people into your inner space you know it, there's certain trust required 
And so, yeah, so just one point I found on a, on a family level, um, you know, the sense of honor and a culture of honor uh, gets developed. And I think that that is Jesus honoring. And, yes, uh, that's, that's so well said. We, we say sometimes that checking in is a cumulative process, that, mm -hmm. that as you do it, it's a rhythm uh, in your family, your house church, wherever, that the the depth of community just continues to increase and the bonding as people perceive that it's safe here. I'm not going to yeah. get advice that I'm not asking for. And the more that I feel that it's safe, the more I can reveal. Mm. Um, one of the things that Ken Smith said, he's sort of famous for these one-liners. Um, he said, um, intimacy is the result of mutual self-disclosure. And I think that that really is a pretty wise statement. So. We could go on forever. Yeah, go ahead. One more. <laughs> oh, just one last thing. I'm just so enjoying it. But, you know, just uh, the, yeah. this, the ways of, you know, paying attention and rhythms of attention. Yes. Um, I was, you know, Jesus taught his disciples to watch and pray. Hmm. And um, I was just thinking, what would be a helpful tension, almost paradoxical tension to paying, you know, attending to Jesus through these rhythms of attention. And it would be, I was just thinking something like mm -hmm. the, the essence of orthodoxy is paradoxy. Yes. And so what would be paradoxical opposite of, of, you know, rhythms of attention, fixing your eyes on Jesus, particularly or the person in front of you, a brother paying attention would be um, the, the, to watch for the instabilities that come through distraction. Mm -hmm. And and I find a stability comes with a rhythm of attention of fixing your eyes on the Lord. Mm -hmm. But instability comes when we're distracted. And so in a way, it's a dual purpose. We've got to fix our eyes on him, pay attention. And at the corner of our eye, just watch for the distractions um, that easily ensnare us and, and that I think is, that's what creates the instability and creates the mental health issues because of distraction. And that's why Jesus said, watch and pray. Yes. We pay attention, but just keep your little eye watching for the little fox, just in case he creeps in while you're paying attention to the Lord, you know. Um, so just, just something to, to, to throw into the mix. A great picture, man. Well, I'm, I'm delighted that Luke 10 has been helpful to you. I suspect that that you will be um, you'll be sharing things with Luke 10. And you already have been along the way. So we could we could carry this on for who knows how long. Any, any final comment that you would like to make to people that are watching this video? Anything that you would like to say that we haven't said so far? Yeah, just um, as a someone that's journeyed 20 years in this movement, Luke 10 is um, at this point just from our engagement, just a complete, uh, you know, fresh breath of air. And that um, it gives me hope for the movement globally, that God is maturing it. It's, and and with maturity, you know, um, John, children, young men, fathers, it's a sexual maturity matter. Fathers can produce children. Young children can't produce children. So there's a maturing in, in, in this part of the body, which gives me great um, encouragement. And I imagine there are other Luke 10s out there in the world. And so 
I think just on a macro perspective, it gives me, uh, you know, great sort of comfort that part of the, the high price one has paid and many have paid is, is turning out to be really good fruit. And that should give a lot of people a lot of comfort. So great comment. So here's a crazy idea for you to be praying about, asking Jesus about. So we're having our um, our global Luke 10 leader team conference. This is for people that have finished Church 101 and a leader team uh, at the uh, the end of August, 1st of September in Denver, Colorado. So okay. talk to the Lord about whether he wants you to come and join us. It would be yeah. great to meet you and others face-to-face. -face. And I, th I think it would be great for us and great for you. So see what yeah. he says about that. Good. No, I appreciate the official invitation. And um, yeah, it's going to be hard to decline that, but we'll make it a matter of prayer. But um, right. Either way, we will be enjoying uh, good conversations. Um, but we have friends in Denver, so that could be a great opportunity to to kill two birds with one stone. There you go. Well, yeah. I've enjoyed our friendship, our conversation, and look forward to continuing and see where the Lord's going to take us. So thanks for making time for the interview. Pleasure. And bless you. And thanks once again for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. You bet.